Hi there, you're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a couple of things. First, we're a curated actual play, which means we cut out most of the dice rolling and rules checks and table talk to concentrate on the story. Next, Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. Now this is things like rough language and frank descriptions of terrifying situations and adult topics such as sex work and drug use. We don't beat these topics over the head and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your bag, well then, this probably isn't the podcast for you. If, however, that is your sort of thing, well then... Dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrill to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. Now, as we rejoin our sophomore syndicate, our focus opens on Calder and Ziva, hard at work in the warehouse of TJ Porterhouse and Company. Calder's a recent acquisition. Now, Calder and Ziva, you've been spending all of your time together lately because you two are putting back all of the pieces of the broken mirror from Jobsworth's place, oh, which I is see. no mean feat because, well, he'd been gone for seven weeks and the bins had been taken out weekly. Gotcha. And sorry, where are we doing this? You're at the porterhouse. And it has taken a long time and many expensive paid-for castings of the Locate Object spell by rag and bone pickers, those fucking garbage-picking mongrels with their dirty spells that nobody knows but them and come in incredibly useful, and so they bilk you for all the money that you have in your pockets, only to miscast it and swear that it was environmental and not a mistake. And Ziva, you're planning on several good zombies to make out of a few of these buggers. <laughs> like, this is garbage, gutter magic, just garbage magic. Calder, it sounds rather like a drunk singing an opera. I feel uh, quite a bit like I, like really... All of these thomic vermin could probably be replaced with one decent, let's say, magic compass. <laughs> but I don't have the time to make the compass now. One for the drawing board, though. Mm-hmm, indeed. So the dustmen find, your, find roughly where the, all the pieces of this big mirror are 
And you set the Nigels to digging. The Nigels come up with all the pieces, or so they think. And after laying out a sheet of tarpaulin, assemble them like a jigsaw puzzle on the floor of the porterhouse. Meanwhile, you've moved the frame of the mirror to hang suspended from wires from the rafters overhead. So it's just out in the air. Diva's been studying that in particular. Okay, now this whole thing is made of Eldwood, this frame. And while you look at it with your bare eyes, you can't really see anything crazy about it. It's just Eldwood. Until you remember that Eldwood only grows out in the swamps around here. Well, not even around here, just out in the swamp. And another thing, Eldwood is an invasive species. Which, I mean, kind of makes sense to make stuff out of it, but... All the same, a weird sort of thing. But yeah, an invasive species. An invasive species. Now, your herb lore... Well, let's just say your herb lore isn't so great. Definitely you could use some improving. Color. This is a beautifully polished sort of wooden frame. You think it's oak or maple with a stain. Uh, sorry, and was the frame intact after the the, the uh, sundering of the mirror? Or did we yes. also reconstruct that? So the, no, the frame the, was okay? The, the frame is intact and original. Excellent. Um, right now, when we look at uh, everything laid out, does it look like we're missing much? It all seems to be there. All right. So what I want to know is how long was that spell there? How long has this been waiting for him? I also wonder if the spell continues uh, to persist. It was some mighty magic to have a a portal of such power. Yeah. And especially one that they like triggered it, you know, I guess like a specific time because they had to know like when he was alone that he would be right in front of the mirror, that nobody would be there to help him out. Uh, they had the guy set up like ready to um, replace him. True. However, they did have an accomplice, one Mr. Erdsat Drobsworth. So perhaps it was not quite such a complicated arrangement to achieve. Well, my understanding of the Jobsworth 
was basically like a swap. Oh, I see. So like they threw the the Jobsworth doll in when while they brought you know, from their side while they were like dragging my brother in, you know. Yes, I see. So like what I'm I don't know if he had this mirror and he had, you know, a different spell on it. Oh fuck. I just realized something. What is that? I can't believe it took me this long to put this together. The leaves. The everything that the Jobsworth was stuffed with. Yes. It's the leaves of the tree. This wood. Oh, I see. Uh, so, what, what sort of wood is this? I, I, I thought this was rather mundane. Well, it's called Eldwood, and it's like people don't use it so much anymore. But like a hundred years ago, if you wanted to make something, you know, like a magic artifact. Eldwood is like your number one choice because it's so fast, it's so easy, and it's like the stuff you learn on in school and whatever. Adam, is this something I've heard of before? Yeah, this it's uh, definitely something that's been used in the construction of construction of magic furniture and artifacts of like it is wood that is well and easily enchanted. Until it is enchanted, though. It's very fragile. You have to keep it alive. Once it accepts an enchantment, it essentially becomes immortal, and you can bend it and water it and shape it into whatever form you want. It will happily live that way. Um, many things made of Eldwood are used uh, to fuel their own enchantments too, right? So it's like the living, the life force of the wood itself is what will fuel the enchantment that it holds so it doesn't draw from the wear there's all these equivalencies and exchanges and shit that you didn't know anything about before you started working with ziva to be honest um if she only knew how much later you'd been staying up cracking the manuals and reading and learning and trying to catch up what what she's saying she knows you're a magicker but god damn it she does magic like actual magic yours are just tricks Fair enough. So two, two, two follow-up questions. One, uh, what's the availability of Eldwood in this area? And um, does, uh, does this particular piece, like, how did I not see that? Is it just because, like, sorry, is it rare in this area or in my experience to see items? Like, is this book learning that I'm working on here? Or, uh, or... This is book learning. Yeah, it's book learning that you're working on here because Eldwood is, uh, well, it's an invasive species. An interdimensionally invasive species. Ah, oh, I see. All right, all right. All right, I got it. Like, I mean, it's grown in wizards' laboratories. Oh. And wild in the dream. Oh. So you're saying 
that this mirror frame is made of Eldwood. This here. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, I know when we had fragments of the mirror, we could not detect any magic or any thomic energy. I wonder if now, with the pieces together, if we could detect something. Maybe with the frame as oh, well. Yeah. But maybe, maybe just the glass shards first. So, shall I, or would you? Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And she's she's already got the wand out, and she's muttering. Alder steps back. Uh, she seems like it, it seems to be that the she's she's so um, gung ho about it. Uh, he barely has to mention something and she's on top of it. But when she sees him step back, she kind of stops and she's just like, takes a breath and she says, I mean, okay. No, you do it. I'm like really pushing myself here. Oh, of course. Shall we fetch some tea first? Yeah. Nigel! Instantly there is tea. Oh, that's so nice. Like unseen servant tea? Yes, but with a very seen kobold. All right, fair enough. All right. Please, Siva, have a seat. And she sits down and takes So I'm tea. seeing us in a back, uh, effectively like a meeting room. Um, or a small storeroom. Uh, all the boxes have been put off to the side. They still have uh, canvas over them or something like that. We have a large table, uh, the kind of thing that I'm I'm sure Mr. Porterhouse uh, rolled out uh, large maps of his of his shipping empire on. So we have uh, the frame at one end, and then we have uh, all the shards, uh, not touching, but uh, gingerly placed as a, so that we can see the shape uh, of them. And so uh, I'll go over and uh, take a breath and uh, put my hands on either side of uh, the perimeter of the shards of the mirror. And then I'll take a deep breath, hold it for a moment, and then I'll slowly exhale and breathe through my fingers directly into the shards which I've tried before. I've tried holding it. I've tried this with uh, Detect Magic. I've tried Identify before uh, and nothing. But I'm hoping now that all the pieces are together, maybe we'll find something slightly different. Okay, this mithril tarpaulin, it's not solid mithril. In fact, it's not even mostly mithril. There's maybe one thread in a hundred in it that's mithril, but it's mithril enough. And it was expensive. But it seems to be doing the trick because when you put your fingertips down on the edge of the canvas, you can feel all of the mithril in it through the electricity of your touch. And with this, you drop your senses into what your fingers are feeling. You draw a deep breath 
And as you breathe out, your mind drops into that grid. And the whole shape of the thing is together in your mind. You can see each little piece is like a typewritten letter on a piece of paper that's been shredded to confetti and then painstakingly put back together. And now, with a wave of your hand and a little surge of magic, you could make it whole again. I, uh, Calder gasps or has a sharp intake of breath. Uh, eyes still closed. Uh, I try to hold my composure and I try to hold that thomic moment in my hands because I don't know if I should do that. And I struggle slightly to say, Ziva. Ziva, come close. Mm-hmm. I think, I believe I can mend the mirror. Oh my god, do it. Uh, are, are you certain? It will let us go in. But I don't know what might pass through from the other side to here. Oh, whatever. It is still out of the frame, remember. Yeah, it'll be fine. Classic Ziva. It'll be fine. All right. (laughs) I I want to put it together, but I just had a moment where I like, I don't know if this is the the wise move, but yeah. All right. Uh, Let's do it. So I'll take another deep breath. And I, uh, I'll turn my hands from fingertips up to the sides, so they're kind of on the outside edge of my hand. And I'll exhale, and I'll kind of push both hands together, kind of in a in a grasping or almost hugging motion as I try to draw all the pieces back together to make a single whole mirror. There is a slithering clink that happens all at once. And when you separate your hands, there is a web of electricity behind them, like a, you know, a Tesla coil. Um, Just little arcs from between your fingertips. For a moment, you pause, hesitate. It's only a moment, just a, a, a second and a half pause before you put your fingers down just your two fingers on either hand to the two points of the mithril like two contact points of the mithril canvas and just before you get there there's a bright blue arc when you open your eyes they are the blue of weld flash and there's a zot and the mirror settles in one piece Are you okay? Yeah, Calder's not going to say anything. He's going to stumble back for a bit, and he's going to try to uh, reach for a chair. I I suspect a a Nigel will show up and push a chair to him so it doesn't actually fall down. And uh, I think uh, think a a moment of quiet contemplation is required. Um, Ziva, there is a moment where, like, there's a a shimmer around him. It's just like he kind of fritzes, glitches almost. 
but then he's fine and like then he's he, like there's like, some smoke coming out of his hair she hands him the cup of tea when he sits and sits next to him and drinks her own Yeah, so that was a thing. Oh. Everything has current. Everything is a pattern of electricity. It's amazing. You wouldn't believe like, every single thing. All matter. All of it held together by electric charges. You had no idea. But it is, everything is the lightning. If you look at it close enough. If you look small enough. If you're just vulgar enough to think about, you know, throwing bolts around, then you have no idea the poetry of any of it. This, the song you can hear suddenly called her, is amazing. And when you look at this Eldwood frame, you see that the circuit is incomplete in two places. Well, uh, energized uh, by my curiosity, I'll actually quickly stand up and uh, return to the table and look intently. And as I try to study and understand what these, uh, what these two nodes are. What? Do, do you not see it? He gets up just, just like that in a rush. He takes two steps away. And as he's walking towards the uh, frame, um, there's a flick of something. There's no cobalt around or anything at this point. They just put the, the chair there, hand him the tea and back off. Cause they don't stick around you too much. Ziva. that's, that's really it. Um, but as he gets up, he walks away two feet and then it's like something flicks his chair over. Calder, you're aware of an impact at the end of your tail, even though your belt seems to be functioning perfectly and you shouldn't have one. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll freeze and I'll, I, you can, for Ziva, my shoulders start to turn and then they freeze. And then I just, my head turns over my shoulder and I look, do I, do I see anything? Nope. The belt seems to be working fine, but still that was weird. You've, you knocked the chair over with your tail. You've done that a hundred times. But it's usually when you get up and don't get far enough away before you take off your belt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I look back at the table and then I, I go over my shoulder again, just double check. I don't actually see anything. I raise, she's raise, raise kind of standing eyes. there. She's standing there with a sort of an odd look on her face. She doesn't really know what to say. And she walks up to the table and looks first and, at yes, the... As, um, as I was saying, do, do you not see them? See what? I, without touching them, I point with, uh, with my uh, very normal half-elven hand at uh, where I see these, these two, uh, I guess, uh, sparking nodes or something like that. Okay, the one place, it, it's not sparking or anything. They're just incomplete circuits. The one place is around the rim where the glass would go. You could put the glass in there, there and, you know, that would fix that one. But there seems to be another missing piece. 
I think I know where the mirror goes. I, I'm, of course, in the frame, but I mean how the mirror connects to the frame, but there's something else here. Oh? Yes, I'm, I'm not sure what it is. You do have that, you do have a device which you think might give you some insight as to how this works. However, it is missing a few pieces and um, needs a qu new quill. So you could probably bash it together in an hour, but you'd need to run and get some parts. If what you think it, if it does what you think it does, it uh, it should be able to help you with this because this is definitely a mechanism. Yeah, it looks so, like a, it. It actually, yeah. Now you got to yeah. Then you, just to be sure, you want to check it out. You have a strong hunch, but if you want to do that, you'd need that device. Yes, yeah, so, or you can roll Arcana. No, no, I like this. Yes, yeah, Eva. So I can see here. I, are you sure you don't see anything right here on the frame? She's uh, going to cast uh, detect magic, um, and uh, she sort of pulls the the wand from her uh, hair and waves it, uh, mutters some some words and uh, her eyes glow a little purple for a moment and she looks down at it again. This is a dimensional lock. Huh. This is a great big mean dimensional lock. It's a lockity lock. And they put them on things so that you can't get through into the material. Very serious. And they take a lot of magic. And they're very magicy magic. And very strong. And they're not to be fucked with. And don't even try. Hmm. Okay, so, and I'm not saying it like that because I'm demeaning you. I'm just saying it like that because that's how it was presented. These are incredibly intricate enchantments. They are essentially portals between worlds. They need to be set up in a certain place at a certain, or like they, they need to be tuned exactly right to work. Wow. I mean, this is a very impressive piece of thomic engineering. This is almost. And I say very nearly, uh, like on a, a lost age artifact. Nobody knows how to make these anymore. Ah, yes, you see, you see. So I'm quite certain that the mirror would connect here, but down yeah. at the bottom, I'm. I am somewhat puzzled as to the purpose of this. However, I, I believe yeah. I have just the tool to help us. Um, Revealed secrets. You wouldn't happen to have really pearls about or keep an owl? Uh, owls, no, but I do have some pearls. Are I they think big. Well, yeah, excellent. We'll need one of those. I need to go and run to my shop to, to fetch my tools and 
and the device I'm thinking of. Uh, in the meantime, we need to get word to Timothy. Uh, we uh, we definitely have need of some owl feathers, nice long ones. Oh yeah, good for writing. Okay. Yeah, I'm so this like this this thing. These like these equations, they're like they're just blowing my mind. This is like I know. It's worth man. so much. It super is. But it's like, like you just found, it's like you just found yourselves a Stargate. God, okay. I have to like copy this down and stuff, but like uh, I mean, I'd be like way, way, way more excited about this if I wasn't so worried about Nari. And with that mention, Calder actually uh, stands up because he was bending over in, you know, uh, his geeky joy uh, just evaporates. And he's like, yes, yes, Nari, yes. I will go to the shop now. Um, could you find the pearls and uh, fetch Timothy? Yeah, but um, are you sure you're okay? Oh, I'm, I'm quite splendid. This, this is magnificent. It's just like. Something kind of happened to you there for a second. You went all blurry. Uh, uh, I, uh, I did not notice anything. Uh, I, I will keep an eye out for really blurriness. You said. So you're not like be pulling a Nari and like pretending to be another person. Hey, uh, Ziva, can you roll a perception check for me, please? Okay. I, I literally just rolled a nat 20. Okay. Um, Calder is a handsome half elf in his mid forties. He has hair that's graying at the temples, but chest not on top. He's like uh, like soap opera star handsome, right? The sort of guy that, well, he's the same sort of handsome that Primus was, you know? Uh, just like leading man in a soap handsome. And, you know, he's perfectly coiffed and well-dressed and everything like that. And he's very respectful or respectable and, you know, possibly gay from what society thinks. Not that it matters. Anyway, he looks every inch the 40-year-old half-elf. And he's got the shadow of a fucking dragon. Because I still have, like, my, um... Vision. There's also... Yeah, there, there's also, like, this... Like, as you're looking, his, his shadow, there's, like, flashes, like, electric welding flashes. And every time it flashes, like, when it's right in normal light, there's uh, there's the half-elf shadow. And then there's, like, this electric flash. And 
it's a dragon just for like a second and two thirds, right? Uh, there's something like kind of not right about your shadow. And I'm going to tell you what I've told other people is that I don't like to be lied to. It makes me upset. So Calder takes her breath. Well, I... Well, you see... We really must... Then you see his shoulders drop a little. And then he looks up back at Ziva. I don't know, or I imagine you don't know, but some time ago, you said something to me, to all of us, that has left quite an impression on me. We were at dinner together. Do you, do you perhaps have a sense of what it is that you said? Mm, no. You said that now we were all together. That we had to be honest with each other. And I must admit, those words at the same time have lifted me and weighed heavily. Now I understand that you do not like to be lied to. And if your brother was here, he might spend some time deconstructing the nuanced difference between deception and lying. But I know you well enough that such differences do not matter to you. And so this is not the time I would have chosen for this. I have been anticipating this moment with equal parts, dread and hope. Oh? Yes. I'm like kind of confused. That is most understandable. Are Actually, you... Now that I come to think of it, follow me. I, I think we need to be someplace a little more private. And I'll just take her to okay. my private study in the warehouse. So uh, just a, a couple minutes later, well-appointed uh, study, uh, <laughs> thing for big desks, lots of books. Um, Calder walks in, presents a chair to Ziva, goes about closing all the curtains, closes the door, locks the door. Then he stands in front of Ziva, about a few feet away, and uh, takes a deep breath. Uh, Calder looks at Ziva. 
I know this is an impossible question, but you have asked me about who I am today. I want to make sure that it's a question you want the answer for. Well, it is because like, I like you and you've, I mean, I've always found you a little bit hard to read and like, I don't know. It was like, I guess I always kind of knew that there was like something and there was something um, you were holding back. But you know what? I'm like I'm, I don't know, big weirdo. And you don't care, so. Well, I understand what you mean. I would say that I care quite a bit. I never thought, I never imagined I would find myself with a, with a group of friends, a, a family, such as we have. I know, right? Like people like me what and so you ask in a manner of speaking who i am i want to assure you i am exactly who you think i am however there might be some dispute as to what i am I yeah, I can remember who I am. Oh, trust me, I know that. All right, then. I, I've never done this in front of anyone before. I'm surprised, but I, I'm finding this somewhat awkward. Would, <laughs> would you do me the kindness of closing your eyes for a moment? <laughs> okay. And she uh, she even takes a hand and kind of covers her eyes just to um, make him feel better. And uh, Calder stands with a dear friend, but also totally alone for a moment, steals himself, takes a deep breath, and then reaches down to the buckle of his belt and rotates the front class twice. You hear a deep sigh of relief, the kind of relief when you get home and you get to take off your heels after a long day, that moment, that's the sigh you hear from Calder. And then he says, very well, you may open your eyes. She pauses a moment and uh, and then does I'd like Adam to narrate this you see before you standing somewhere in the neighborhood of seven feet tall 
A long-necked, broad-shouldered, thin-hipped, wide-tailed, hematite dragonling. He's maybe 60 years old. You can just see his uh, wings starting to separate from his rib cage and, you know, his, above his scapula. Um, so he's a little bulkier around the shoulders and ribs and skinny at the waist. You know, he'll fill out eventually, but God, he's a teenager, Ziva. He's a hematite, scaly, teenage dragonling. What? And well, he's got a cup. He's got a couple of white scales uh, scattered around on his muzzle. You'd need an exfoliation, by the way, Calder. Who has time for that? She, she kind of sits uh, and stares for a while. She. Not in a in a, in a rude way, in a, a sort of uh, there's there's obviously an initial shock, uh, but after a moment, it's um, fascination and wonder, and also she gets a a look like she thinks you're kind of adorable and then realizes that might not be interpreted well and sort of uh, clears that up. And it explains so much. Explains why he can do magic but has no discipline. It explains why he misuses his thaumaturgical vocabulary. It explains like why he seems more intuitive than educated. It also explains why he has all that shit. You're like... Oh my god. So uh, Calder's uh, looking down at his feet a little bit awkwardly. Uh, doesn't really catch what Ziva's doing. He's just kind of freaked out. And You're amazing. And eventually he says, well, um, <clears throat> I'm not from around here. You're so amazing. Calder will quickly look up and say, uh, really? Yeah. Oh my god. No, I mean, I do not. I am not, not angry at you for hiding this. You can absolutely see Calder just relax. Like, I totally get it. People would fuck with you. Like, you couldn't even get a walk in this city. Oh my god. That is absolutely true. It is also somewhat the least of my worries with regards to my identity. But that's another story yeah. for another day. Um, Stitch knows. Oh. 
apparently he can smell me. Yes, hello. Are you hungry? Well, holy smoke, come to Jiheri's Bronze Tusk. Number one borscht, number one fish salad, number one beer, all of Belamina. Why not come tonight? Bronze Tusk's Rusty Axe, 13 Fish Street in the heart of the Copper Penny Road Entertainment District of Belamina. This week featuring two-for-one fish salad and Took's Blogger, the best beer in Belamina. That's Bronze Tusk's Rusty Axe, Copper Penny Road, Belamina. We'll turn our attention now to Arabet at the greenhouse. Now, Bet, you've seen Calder around a lot more since uh, he seems to have bought Porterhouse out from under you, quite literally. He comes and goes from the office now and then, but somebody you haven't seen is Stitch. Not since the morning that you got the brunch invitation. Timothy's been away for a few days helping his dad with the soul cake rush. And, well, yeah, everybody's been about their way. Life has settled back into the grind. Um, There is no coffee this morning. You note that as soon as you wake up. Well, that's a, that's a change. I check uh, Stitch's hammock. Well, he's not there. His bed is cold. The stove is on and low like it normally is. It's just a gas stove. But, like, the coffee pot wasn't even taken out this morning. Damn. Where is he at? I checked the calendar. What day is it? Oh, it says on the calendar that it's a clinic day at Miss Melinda's. That'd be it. Well, I get in a little workout on the roof, and then I uh, skip along, and I guess I'll get breakfast on the way. Right. Well, the bagel guy, corner of Copper Penny and Fish, kitty corner from the new dancing rat carts, which uh, have been appearing all over the city, thanks to Color and Magma, you think. It's a business you know the firm owns. And uh, I mean, before this whole Jobsworth thing, you thought Nari was doing a really good job of running the syndicate, but now he's like, he wasn't him and Nothing's anyway. You get there, and the guy's like, Good morning, Bet. Morning, you know, this is Hans, the bagel guy, and he's he's been here since before you owned the place. I'm thinking the usual right away, sir. And with that, he hands you a beautiful multi grain thing toasted to perfection with a thick layer of cream cheese one half of which bears a nice smoky locks, and the other bears a delightfully sweet strawberry jam. Excellent. And the other? Right away. And he hands you the little bag of money, which is, you know, his rent for the week. You've cut it in half if he keeps giving you bagels. And if you get by here once a week anymore, it's a good week. But you finish your bagel as you uh, cross the street, and see that the neon-lit kitty cat, it's animated. You know, the cat goes from standing to stretching to standing to stretching to standing to stretching. And in the Estimondine calligraphy is Mamselle Melinda. I walk up to the front entrance, clean my shoes carefully, and uh, step through the threshold. 
There's a little foyer there. About four feet in, there's a bead curtain. And uh, the bead curtain shimmers visibly before you walk through. The wards are down. You press through the bead curtain, and as you step through, there is the usual scent of smoke and, you know, flesh and intoxicants of various descriptions. And the place is pleasantly warm. I mean, you wouldn't have to wear a shirt if you didn't want to. It's that kind of spot. However, at this hour of the morning, the clientele is mostly upstairs, and so everybody you find on the main floor is mainly just kicking around, playing cards and reading the paper and drinking coffee or having breakfast or, you know, a few of them are getting their makeup on for the afternoon, but the place isn't really open yet. And as you walk in, they all look at you with like delighted smiles and, you know, well, various degrees of delight. Some of them are fonder of you than others. Uh, Gigi and Mitsu, who are two halfling girls that you've known for years, come running over and give you the big hug around the thigh that they normally do. And they go, hi, Matt. And the ladies are, you know, they're happy to see you, right? Ladies looking lovely. There's a, a chorus of, uh, you know, responses to that. Has anyone seen the cat? Um, and this is Gigi. He was here last night. He got some mail, I think. He was here last night? Yeah, just after the dinner hour. How do you know he had mail? Oh, um, Miss Melinda said... Send somebody over to run over and tell him. I see. So he had mail. Hmm. I don't know. It was one of the. It was one of the kids. One of the. One of the kids from the back rooms. Um. Well, yeah, you know, Bet. I know very well. Yeah, she, she's just in the back with the children right now. Walk to the back and uh, slowly enter the room. It's through the kitchen, and uh, I mean, the kitchen is a big industrial thing like you'd see in any other place that serves, you know, well, it's a kitchen, right? It's an industrial kitchen, like a, a chef's kitchen. You walk through that to the back. It's actually better in here than it was at Thrasher's Fancy Restaurant. Now that you look around, food's better anyway. It doesn't cost near as much. You got through there, through the back, into the back room. It's a long, narrow room with... Six bunk beds on either wall with foot lockers, you know, at either end of the bed. Um, this is where the children live because the contraception doesn't always work. And there's no reason you should lose your job just because you got to take a year off. Currently, nobody is with or having recently had child. So all of the kids, I think you think the youngest is about oh, seven or so at this point. It's hard to keep track. But, uh, you know, you've known these kids your whole life. You used to be the eldest of them, right? The the big boy until, uh, well, you know, until Saru died and you found yourself in Thrasher's apprenticeship. But uh, as you walk down the row of bunk beds and see the footlockers, you remember yours and, you know, think fondly of how it's still kind of tucked in under the end of your bed. 
up in the greenhouse. And you walk out the, out the other end, and behind Miss Melinda's is a courtyard garden. And right now, at this time in the morning, the sun is shining at such an angle that it's just crested the mountains. And so it comes down, hits a mirror up at the top of this courtyard, which angles the light just so, so that it bounces and the whole courtyard is bathed in radiant, warm, beautiful sunlight. And so there's a garden here. And out back, Miss Melinda is dressed in her gardening clothes with her gloves on and her bonnet and all of the children doing work in the garden. This, Arabet, it must be mentioned, is where Melinda Darabet is in her element. Yep, she's good at the front of house, but here in her garden, man, this is where all her most beautiful flowers grow. It's probably the reason you live in a greenhouse. Mademoiselle? Etienne. Good morning. Um, what brings you by? Well, I was looking for Stitch. Ah, he's gone. Um, in in minute, Miss Elef. Allons-y. Go inside. Just, just a moment. I must speak to your brother a moment. And so all the children, like, they, they, they all heat up and run in. Now, gentle listeners. I mean, not all of them, obviously, are blood relatives of Arabet, but she did just call him their brother. Interesting. Back to the action. This... Okay, so the children all filter back into the house. The door closes. It's good to see you well, Etienne. It seemed that you were in a bit of a trouble with the thieves' kids. It's an ongoing drama. Stitch told me the old thing. I'm sorry that this happened to you. I want you to know that the, my sisters and I will bear you no ill will for this association. But please remember, we are your family. I remember. I remember very well. Do you remember how to trim roses, Etienne? I haven't, I haven't forgot that one. Well, then get your clippers and join me. It's time we have a chat for a while. It seems that, once again, I must give you bad news. It's a lovely morning. And there's like a half an hour where you and she just trim the roses in silence, you know? And uh, this is initially how you learn to use a dagger, right? It wouldn't do to teach a child to use a knife, but a pair of clippers, no problem. Getting your hand in there without getting scratched or caught or poked by the thorns to snip a particular blossom from within the bush, mm, that's tricky. To do it with a knife? Harder. This was the beginning of your education, and you have not forgotten a bit of it. And pretty soon the roses are trimmed, and there's nothing else to say that way. Without saying a word, you and Mademoiselle Meliand have a chat about how Stitch came to the brothel last night to retrieve an envelope which had arrived there, care of Mademoiselle Melind, with his name on it. It was in Tabaxi script, and when he opened it, there was a lock of hair. He took a deep inhale from the envelope, emptied the contents into his pouch, and then asked Melind for all his money, whereupon he left. He said you would understand. 
I do. I would have given him some more money. Oh, Cherie, he has a hard road, as do you. I regret I don't have more of the money to spend with you, Etienne, but the children need their education. Yes, they do. It's a good education, ma'am. Just come, sir. As you will, please come back and visit. But for now, I must ask you, um, the morning shift is about to open and guild's men at this hour are unseemly. Of course. And with that, Etienne Darabet, you excuse yourself from your mother's establishment and step out on the Copper Penny Road at that moment. Hey there, Delilah. Hello. How about them effing bagels, eh? Oh, they're delicious. My favorite in the city. Right? Just the best. And this cart, right? There's all these rat carts all over the place now, the little dancing skeletal rats and this and that. But this guy does the best bagels anywhere in Bailey Mina. And you try to get down here at least once a month. Although, like, let's face it, Copper Penny Road is janky. <laughs> but it just so happens, as you sit on the curb eating your bagel, enjoying your morning and sipping your coffee... From across the street, from what appears to be a Copper Penny Road cat house, steps your friend, Arthur. It is also, it must be noted, first thing in the morning. Delilah tilts her head and looks over at him. Really? Arabeth? Delilah. I see you found my bagel cart. Trying to charm him over to the to the bramble. Well, now stealing my best bagel cart—that would be a crime. Why I'm not stealing a thing if he chooses to come live with me? Of course. So you come down here often? Oh no, I don't get down this way very much. I see. Don't like the ambiance? I can't say it's my favorite. I see. Well, where you just saw me leaving, Miss Malins, that's where I grew up. Real Hugh, or is this another pack of lies? Oh, I thought we were at truth-telling. Well, I'd like to believe that, but you never really know. Of course. You're welcome to verify it with the bagel guy. She quirks a brow at him. And uh, after a conversation that seems to take place entirely with eyebrows, nods. Were you heading anywhere in particular? Oh, you know, I was just craving a bagel. Already had mine. Why'd you ask? I was willing to escort you wherever you would like to go. I seem to have uh, a bit of time on my hands. Oh, plans falling through? Indeed. It would seem that, uh, hmm, it would seem that other people have let me down 
Who this time? Oh, no one in particular. It's just, in general, life has taken them off my hands, so to speak. Hmm. You know, the changing of the tides, I would guess what you might call it. It brings in stuff and it takes out stuff, right? That is how tides work, yes. Yes. So... It would seem Mr. Stitch has gone on an errand, and you have come into my life again. So it would seem, indeed. I understand that you might want my bagel guy to relocate to the Brambles. But, you know, you're always welcome to come here and get a bagel anytime you wish. I wasn't under the impression that you ran this area. No, oh, this is too high class for him. Janky the copper penny may, row may be next in, next to the bramble. At least it's not Lost Acre, right? There are a few businesses around here that I I assist with, but other than that, you know, it's just where I was born. I see. How is Lost Acre doing these days? To be honest, poorly. Oh, we are trying our hand at this honesty thing. Please keep going. Yes, well, you know, it would seem that uh, earning is a very difficult thing to do. Fascinating. What makes you say so? Well, to be honest no matter what you might think. I have a really hard time being a son of a bitch. Fascinating. That's not my experience at all. Yes, I I understand that that's how you interpret things. Oh, interpret. You have been hanging out with a lawyer, haven't you? Actually, no. He hasn't been around for a while. How interesting. Told you. Right now, you might say I'm in a lot of trouble. So I might. Understand, Delilah, that uh, that diamond broke my heart. She looks at him, face steady but expressionless. But I'll help you get it. Well, you're even the one who said you owe it to me. Yes. Indeed. And I pay my debts. So as it happens, Arabet and Delilah, you've been walking as you talk. And as your conversation draws to a close, you find yourselves standing, coincidentally enough, in front of Lost Acre, in whose broad... Dyrish-sized doorway stands the adolescent form of Timote Boulanger with a great big fat Dagwood sandwich in one hand and two beers in the other. Thank you, Timote. We'll take those. Well, uh, okay. Obviously, there's food inside if you're interested, Delilah. Oh, why not? 
It's been such a, del- a delight of a day so far. I may as well have you show me around. So with that, we're going to fade on the rogues as they sit to their delicious lunch. Across the ancient land, rising from the misty veil, comes the call of adventure. The only question is, will you answer? Coming on April 25th and 26th, 2020, the Ragnarok Gaming Experience. Ragnarok is a gaming convention held in southern Ontario, hosted at the legendary Kitchener Doubletree Hotel. Don't miss out on the best weekend in gaming you'll ever have. Board games, RPGs, trading card games, LARPs, tabletop miniatures vendors, and so much more. Including special appearance by the Runelanders, Come out and meet cast members of your favorite actual play 5th Ed D&D podcast and get to experience the city of Bailey Mina for yourself with their very first convention adventure ever. All of this for the low advanced price of $20 Canadian each day or $35 for a weekend pass. Children 12 and under free. Don't miss the Ragnarok gaming experience. Get your tickets now at ragnarokxp.ca. Game like the world is ending. Having given the rest of the Rapscallions a couple of days in Bailey Mina to sort this out, let's peek back in on Nari and his new companion, Duke Galloglass of Kern. What have you guys been up to? Well, if there's bandits along the roads and red caps running loose in the woods, then I think uh, I think we should be doing something about that to uh, make his uh, his lordship's uh, land safe for travelers. Well, he's returning from Tanalorn to the at the end of the peninsula. It was the uh, it's a city built of snow and lit and heated with magic so that it doesn't melt. But he's returning to Kern, which is in the springtime precinct. So, um, well, we, at least he was when you met him. Now, that was a couple of years ago. I mean, since you've returned and become the warlock of Kern. And Bailey Mina seems like a long time ago. Like a really long time ago. And when you think about it, it kind of was. It's been... You're not sure how long. I mean, time... Time makes no sense, right? Winter is always in winter. Spring is always in spring. Fall is always in, like, autumn is always in autumn, and summer is the same thing. They stay in the same places, and the worlds rotate through them, you know? So time really doesn't mean anything here, but, again, it's been a long time. You don't really... You have these vague memories of uh, what it was like to have that coffee from the bakery where like you'd stop for your tea and your and your pastries every morning at this at this bakery. And it was always a good thing. Like even when you were a kid, you were going there and now you can't remember what they tasted like or really that any experience of going there apart from the fact that you did. It's been a while. 
And you are the warlock of Kern these days, responsible for making and enforcing the laws the Duke decides to implement. Well, you know, after advising him on them in the first place. What's the best thing about Gallo Glass? Mary, like you guys been hanging out, adventuring as a team for a while. Here you are in your well-appointed office in the spring precincts, looking out over a lake of, well, a lake full of brightly colored flying fish. And I've got uh, my nice, tidy little office with a row of books behind me. Yeah, no, life's good. I mean, uh, it's uh, probably the most reliable boss I've ever had. The only nobleman that's, uh, that knows the, knows the work, it seems. Well, and I mean, you're a nice, you're a nice contrast because he is a Duke of the Spring Courts. And uh, let's face it, your pact hasn't changed. But it's been like, it's got to be more than a decade since you've even had anything to do with herself. Weren't you supposed to wait on her pleasure to talk to you? And that was the last you'd heard of anything from Stark Weather and Fair before you fell through a mirror into the dream. Like, it has to be more than a decade ago. Yeah, it's a hell of a waiting room. So, like I said, he's a pretty good counterpoint, your counterpart. Being an ogre of the spring, he's always ebullient and always optimistic and always busting with the potential of things and ideas. And, you know, hey, can we do this? So really, on large, you supplement each other's weaknesses. And he's a good friend, too. His kids all call you Uncle Nari. Yeah, it's the, the best job I've ever had, for sure. It is, to put it mildly, a dream job. I can kind of see what uh, what Jobsworth was uh, was on about about not wanting to bother with joining management. Over time, the investments say the investments you make grow, and you and the Duke is you're his first choice for a traveling companion when he has to, you know, stride out and right some wrong. And it's been long enough. You haven't managed like he he's just assumed that you are a seely sort. Like he is. And you know in your heart what your own alliance is, but you haven't told Galloglass yet. Oh, it hasn't affected the work. Neither should it neither should it affect the work, but I gotta say, the work could also have affected you. It's gotten to feel pretty good to be a hero, Nari. Like when you ride up it's never the, oh, it's the warlock, burn the warlock. Do you have a license for that? Who's your pact with? And a lot of uncomfortable questions that you had to become a lawyer to answer without getting hanged. It's more like, hey, the warlock's here. It's gotten to, it's gotten to be pretty comfortable. And uh, objectively, you, you do stand probably two inches taller and a little broader at the shoulders and narrower at the waist and more ideal of feature when you when the warlock shows up for a public appearance. You don't probably don't even realize you do it, but you're Nari only bigger and better looking. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, the boss has a road trip planned. Well, I guess I'll be going over the, the preparations, making sure we got, uh, got enough food and horses and, you know, also all the, yeah, just all of the 
minutia of uh, traveling arrangements. Horses. Horses. Fucking horses. Unicorns, my friend. Big, fat-footed war unicorns. And by the way, these ones, Sealy or not, yeah, they're like there's the white, the 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 silver white ones that are most famous throughout the world. But I mean, they really come in all different coat colors and uh, markings and things like that. They're they are magic equids, but uh, they're not all as good and lawful as they're made out to be in the folklore. Yours is a bit of a son of a bitch. You know they can talk. You also know that yours deigns not to talk to you. Perfect. And yeah, not to be indelicate, but can uh, the horses bear his lordship? Sorry, unicorns, whatever, whatever his lordship is riding out on. Well, his, his lordship, his lordship also, when he stands straight and steps it out and uh, embraces his, his fey birthright can cover about six feet in a stride for the afternoon. Right. So he can just step it out walking and you'll have to canter along after. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. Like he folds up to about 10 feet and does his lordship. When he is at his most wrathful, um, he just, he he swells up. He gets the warp spasm and uh, he grows probably three or four feet in height. Good to know. Sometimes he even doubles. Well, make sure that uh, are we are we taking servants, or will be will we, will we be traveling fast and light? Well, it appears that we've been summoned to the court of the Violet Vicomtesse over in the Autumn Precincts. Oh, they do the best parties there, I believe. The harvest and all of that. Indeed they do. Yeah, well, you've probably been. Yes, I believe I've visited. Um, in any event, the, uh, the baggage, should we, should we plan on a train of servants? Well, I don't know. Do you want to travel officially or do you want to have some fun along the way? Comfort or fun? Well, we're going to a rather lavish party, so let's have some fun along the way. Then we'll send the train ahead, stay here for a day or two, boot up, and head out. Excellent. I'll make the arrangements. Make it so. He says with a wave of his hand and laughs and then claps his hands together and there's a big bell toll and the music starts again and the day continues on as normal. This is a trick that he pulls all the time. Like when he's talking to somebody, he'll quiet everything down. But then the rest of the time, it's that gonging of his two hands and then press the digitation of whatever music he seems to favor. So this guy's kind of like Ogre Mage then, eh? Well, he knows a cantrip or two from what you've seen. Yeah. If you had to guess based on the fact that you've been studying deeply, like that big row of books behind your desk is... Well, they're the product of your own research, right? Oh, sure. It's my library. Like quite a few of them are probably written by you, one might assume. Sure, yeah. Copies and transcriptions and whatnot. Through it all, your 
mighty satchel has held that whole library. Like you can put all, you know, 75 volumes of your library in that bag. Oh, for sure. The library there is like, you know, for clients and for show as much as for my own reference. It's many fine leather bound books as it were. But yeah. I'll just delegate most of the work, I suppose. Cause that's what the, that's what the head of the head servant does. Right. The, uh, get the servants all bustle like uh, put together and off on their way. So the traveling retinue gets their shit together, gets loaded up on the wagons, and they're out the door by the next morning at nine, uh, which gives you a couple of days to go leisurely about your way and make sure that you and the Duke are well packed up and, and suited to go. And as always, he's arguing with his wife because she never wants him to go away on these things because she's absolutely certain that this is the time he's going to get his ass killed. Well, no sense in getting involved with the uh, the family's domestic uh, affairs. I'll just wait patient, patiently on my on my steed. Just chattering away to it. Just making small talk. Just, just painfully, making it painfully... Uh, aware it's i know it's not going to talk back so i'm just completely just chatterboxing away at it well flashing back to your original conversation you uh remember walking in and going hi i'm nari i'll be the new warlock around here and the war the unicorn looking at you and saying okay well i'm not telling you my name and uh in fact i'm not saying anything else to you from now on because i know warlocks and that was that's it that's awesome yeah i'll just be chattering away about the weather and all sorts of small talk and oh we're going to a party it's gonna be great i don't know if quadrupeds are allowed in but hey i'll get you something nice from the buffet there's an annoyed flicker of its ears which lets you know that vix in his palace and all is right with the world with that you give the unicorn a little tap with your heels. You and the Duke head off on yet another of your famed adventures. Now, Ziva has been in the archive, busily ignoring Zul Grobob, who seems a little distraught by this. It kind of slithers around and goes and deals with its business, and it peeks in on you often, like it's been in to check twice in the last hour. Zul Grobob wants you to know that it would like her attention, evidently. She just takes a very deep breath in and out. She puts everything down, closes her books, and stands up from the table, walks over, and looks up. Hello, darling. You're working awfully hard. Well, yeah. Is that bothering you? A little, I must say. You come here with all of your wonderful distraction, and yet you refuse to distract me. How 
wonderfully maddening you are. <laughs> right. Of course it's about you. I must insist that before you kill yourself, which I know you desperately long to, but before you do, darling, do come walk with me. I have ordered you a sandwich. I'm sure you'll find it oh. delicious. Yes, fine. Okay, fine. And she'll hold her arm out. Thank you. This way. And with that, Zul Grubwilb leads you through the stacks of the archive and up into a, a sunny sort of little cupola on one of the turrets somewhere in this vast building, this archive of information. You had no idea that this place existed, but it's just a little cloister with windows that look out over the firth. And you can see over most of the, well, like quite a bit of the city, you see like, well, there's Lost Acre stretched out down by the docks and there's Copper Penny Road. And, you know, there's, well, there's the road out of town to the south to get to, across, like, to get across the glades to Foster Shear in the south. Wow. What a view. She goes up to the window and, uh, you know, kind of uh, takes a takes a few minutes of of blinking and adjusting to the light, um, but once she does, she takes a, a few minutes to just really enjoy looking around and and seeing everything from this perspective, which is not one she often gets of the city. Tell me, my love, has anyone? <laughs> Shown you the things that I have shown you. Mm, no, not really. And my heart, my love. Do you trust me? Yeah, I do. Excellent. Then sit you down and sip your tea. I have a story to tell you. <laughs> okay. You're right. I should. I know I'm bad for this. Like, just working and forgetting about myself. So, thank you. It is my most sincere pleasure. Are you looking for the perfect gift, but it eludes you? Search no more, friend. All you seek will be found at Calder's Curios. I am Master Lock Calder, purveyor of the finest curiosities and small wonders, antiquarian by royal appointment. From anniversaries to Arastine to Rune's Day gifts, everything you seek can be found at Calder's Curios. Visit us today in Queensbridge. No gift too small, no purchase too large. As we return to the archive, we see that 
the sitting room has been rearranged somewhat. There's been some space made, and as the remains of Ziva's sandwich sit discarded on the small plate, on a side table, we see that Zulgrubuelb has brought in a photogram projector and some of the finer old scrolls from the archive. Now, he loads the scrolls into the reader, which has been somehow jerry-rigged. You wouldn't know how. This is not your thing. This is not clean, regular magic, Ziva. This is technology, and it's all very hard and fast, and it has no soul, you know? Hmm. It's interesting. All the same. Let's just say, yeah, it'll it'll duplicate a magical effect, but it won't create any real art, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. There's no way that one of these machines is going to do any real magic, but it does magic-like effects, and I guess that's good enough for people who don't know what the fuck they're looking at. Yeah, well, and, you know, I guess maybe if you live in, like, a null magic zone, or, you know, there's no wizards around. And, and fair enough, you know, wizards are not an everyday occurrence, right? Like sorcerers, yeah, they're they're more common, but yeah, still not every day. So there's it's just, just a lot for of magic me everywhere, you know? That's right. Anyway, Zul turns the thing on, and the light comes on, and there's a flicker, and a... And then the image appears in the on the table, about six inches above the table, in front of you. It's like The History of Bailey Mina, Volume 1, Crusade and Reclamation. It's like all this and you look and there's like this really flickery pictures of, you know, like and there's like piano in the background. Somewhere spectral that you can just barely hear with your mind's ear, right? But you're looking and there's like these really spectral images, like mm, fainter than urge ghosts almost. But again, you can see urge ghosts pretty good because you've practiced. Anyway, um, really, really faint images. And like there's this young girl and it's like, tuberculosis. The Empire's settlement at Baal-Manor was beset by wave after wave of hideous diseases brought on by fey curses. And, like, then it switches to them, you know, Catholic and Invictus. And um, this is really ancient, 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 ancient recording technology. Like, this is taken from the mind of some ancient wizard who committed it to a thought gem, which then was encoded onto paper. You can tell because it's so grainy and, like, so subjective, you know, but there's the Emperor and the Empress. And fuck, they look exactly the same. That's amazing. Like, her hair is different. That's it. Oh, my God. I can't believe how not different they are. And, like, there's a shot where they come out and, like, they both come walking down across the Firth, right? And there's, you know, they, they just walk out. They get off their boat and walk across the Firth and the people are all you know, crowding into a door and admire and, and worship their, the hem of her dress. And she has this beatific look on her face. And then there's a flash and everybody who was sick in Bailey Mina was restored again. And then like, there's a, there's a flicker and a 
Thanks be to the Emperor and the Empress, for the fairies have been driven out of beautiful Bailey Mina. And you can see, like, there's this, uh, like, this title cards, you know, like, all the dialogue is written because you can't really hear it. Um, it switches out to title cards once in a while because the audio portion of the memory has been lost in the encoding, right? But, like, there's Bailey Mina, and behind the speaker, you can see the archive is being built, and it's an 800-year-old memory taken off a wow. thought stone. This is amazing. The archive remembers, you see. Yeah, that's so cool, but, like... What did that mean about the fairies being driven out? In the background, you can see this uh, vortex in the sky is closing and closing and closing. And there's, it looks like some kind of, he, he's human. He's human, human in, in stature, but that beard is dwarvish. If you have seen, if you've ever seen a dwarvish beard, that is a dwarvish beard. So is the hairline. So is the fact, yep. So is the fact that he's only got three fingers. And he gestures with the Simpsons-looking hand off towards the vortex in the sky, which is slowly closing. And as he talks, he says, The Empire's magic has put an end to this foul face sorcery once and for all. What? The next scene is, uh, the, the next scene is, uh, this beautiful, beautiful she lady. Like, just the most elegant thing you've ever seen. More beautiful than Jamila or oh Kazakhan. Like a, tr a, a true, a true lady of the Fae being thrown onto a pyre, which where everybody throws these, you know, the, these lamps, throws the lamps on onto the thing, and she burns and screams and can't escape, and it's it's brutal and awful, and you go to turn away, but you must, you must understand, darling. This story is not quite. It's well, it's not over yet. You must, you must watch. Ugh. And then like they take and then like there's there's footage of somebody raking through the, the ashes of the pyre to get her bones out to grind into powder, right? To make boner pills out of. That's just sick. And uh you know the next the, the next thing is uh you know pure pure blooded elves getting driven out of the driven out of the city. Of Baal-Minah, and then like the first towers are being raised, and uh, then the buster is up, and then it's like you know so on and so on. It's starting to get to be closer to the Bailey Mina you grew up in, but you know, like just how the humans came and how the, the, the throughout the centuries of footage that you're watching, the ethnic shift goes from being non-human to mainly human to almost entirely human. Wow, this is kind of disgusting. Like, there's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about politics or whatever, but I mean, you gotta kill somebody. Like, you don't do it like that. And fey bones are worth so much more than that. That's stupid. Ugh. Like, what were they even thinking? You don't... You treat people that... You treat, like, a group of people that way. Aren't they gonna come back at you? Truly an unfortunate and evil turn of events, but by the time it's done, it stops playing. 
Like by the time you take your eyes away, you notice that Zulgrublov has he's vacated the cupola entirely. As you look out, you see that the sun is set and it is full dark. Your paramour is nowhere to be found either. Wow. Okay. Thanks. So you make your way through the corridors and mazy staircases and twisty ways out of the archive through your customary exit door and sit beneath the lantern having a smoke as you take a button sewed onto a black ribbon out of your purse and give it a twist. You can't help but wonder, why would Zul Grubwell want to show you that? As these and other mysteries whirl around your head, Pate pulls up, responding to the call of your magic button. And uh, she, she sits in the carriage, sets Pate off, and she pulls Sia out of her pocket and puts the... <laughs> and puts her... In her lap and gives her some pets and cuddles. <laughs> You're so cute. Today was really weird. I don't know. I'm feeling weird. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And he pats you on the head, and he pats you on the shoulder, and continues to drive while Sia continues to tease you. You guys are so sweet. And she kind of leans her head on, on Primus's shoulder for a minute. And as Primus takes up the reins, Pate merges the gig smoothly into traffic, and our insalubrious ingenue is en route to her abode. Now, Ziva, when you arrive... Primus pulls the gig up out front and you dismount. You have to check the mail and look for bills anyway. Now, as you mount the stairs, Primus rattles the gig around to the back. As you're walking out front, you turn around to unlock the door and suddenly... Excuse me. Hmm? What? Excuse me. Excuse me, miss. And there's this old human lady. She looks to be about 90. Are you, are you Madame Ziva? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, my Horace. My Horace has died, you see, and he's left without a clues to where he's put his will. You see, I need to speak with my Horace. Oh, oh, um, yeah. Uh, I can try. They've said, can that, try. They've said that you can, you can do this. Please, I'll, I'll pay you a a gold shilling. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. How long ago did he pass away? And I'm like, I'm super sorry. I'm very sorry for your loss. It's been a few weeks. Oh, my <laughs> horse. Do you, um, have anything of his? Everything, everything is at the house. Do you do house calls, Madam Ziva? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll come to your house for sure. 
Oh, can you come on on Rune's day? Of course. And she'll um, she'll you know kind of st- take a moment and pull out her schedule and you know write it write it down and work it out with the lady. It's only up at just on the edge of the meadows. You see, on on Daisy Place, at number fourteen, Daisy Place. Please come on, please right. go. Send, send, I'll, send, I'll send, do send your man by with with your card and, and anything you need, darling. Please, um, my Horace, oh, I, I miss him so. I'm so sorry. It gives her a, a a pat on the shoulder. I, I am, and uh, I I will see uh, what I can do. And with that, she thanks you profusely and toddles off down the road. You watch her go for a few moments as your mind ticks over and. As you return your attention to the post, that's when it hits you. Horace is dead, and you need to speak to Horace. You can speak to Horace through his mortal remains, which you'll have to get a hold of. But if she's looking for a straight-up seance, then you're going to have to reach him on the other side, which counts as trans-dimensional communication. And, like I said, on the theme of looking too deeply and missing things that are right in front of you. Because let's face it, this looked like a long problem, but it's turning out the solutions are more and more immediate. So if you only had something of Nari's, you might be able to catch him in a seance. I have like all kinds of stuff from him. I have like letters from him and stuff. There would be nothing better for that kind of seance if you wanted to do it in 4K ultra high def than a big magic mirror. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. This is what you were born to do, Ziva. I totally got this. Well, that'll do it for this episode. That was Season 2, Episode 3, Fade Away, Radiate. I am Mad Adam. Producer, host, dungeon master, writer. All of the usual suspects committed all of the usual crimes in the perpetration of this podcast. You can find out more about them at runewise.games. You can leave us a comment there, or find us at Cast the Runes on Twitter, as Runelanders on Facebook, or you can send an email to runelanders at gmail.com. We love your feedback. We read everything. We're going to read these on an upcoming episode this spring, so drop us a line. You may hear it read back in the cast. That's about all for now. Until next, I'm Matt Adam. Take good care.